one day, I think this was maybe my second year of teaching, we had sort of been joking around about, well, you know, someday we should just assign you guys to all grow out your body hair and write a paper about it and see what happens. And I said it in jest, but the students said, well, why don't we try it? It sounds really fun. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to episode 129 of That's So Maven. I am very excited to share more about this topic that we're going to be discussing today. But before we do, I do want to thank our sponsor, which is Imperfect Foods, otherwise known as Imperfect Produce. You know I love them. They're an amazing, amazing resource for getting access to affordable produce and so much more. You have to check out their website. They have tons of non-perishables there as well, and their goal is to help reduce food waste. So whether it be that there was an issue with the distribution system or an overproduction of something, or maybe it's a non-produce item that has been short-coded or a change of packaging, they buy that and they sell it for a fraction of the price. So you're going to save money, you're going to help decrease food waste. And overall, they're just a really great company. I get my box every single Monday and I look forward to it every week. I genuinely love this company and I encourage you guys to check them out. They're all across the the U.S. at this point. They're not in every single place, but they're in over 40 cities at this point. So definitely look to see if they're available in your area because they're amazing. And when you do, make sure you use the code HEALTHYMAVEN at checkout to save 50% off your first box. Okay, so let's jump into today's topic of conversation, today's episode. We are chatting body hair. And this is something that I've really wanted to discuss here on the show. I think it's such an important conversation. And for a really long time, this conversation was happening more from a feminist or gender studies angle, or even within the context of sexuality as well. But I think as we're starting to see, a lot of these topics are crossing over because they don't exist in a vacuum. You know, when it comes to body hair in particular, there has been this view of it as being uncleanly or dirty and therefore, you know, not sexually desirable. But that falls within the health conversation as well, because body hair is not dirty and it's not uncleanly and you do not have to remove it. And this is something that I've been learning a lot more about and checking my own just biases and my own judgments that I think I've made in the past on other people because of a societal norm or a societal expectation that we perceive body hair in a certain way. And as I kind of wake up to this idea, I feel like it's something that we all need to be talking about. I mean, 100% of the population has body hair. Well, that's not true. I'm sure there are some people who do not have body hair, which is fine. And as we'll talk about, removing your body hair is perfectly fine as well. It just has to come from a place of empowerment and not feeling like it's something that you have to do to please other people. So I'm really excited to be having this conversation today. I have Dr. Brianne Foz on the show. She is a professor of women's and gender studies at Arizona State University. She's written a lot about body hair. She is super knowledgeable on the subject, and she does a really cool experiment with her students, and she'll talk more about that. It's really fascinating, and I wanted to have her on the show to talk about this topic. I do want to make clear, you do not have to remove your body hair. You do not have to grow out your body hair. I think something that women don't realize is that you have that choice. Now, that's not an easy thing to do in our society that actually doesn't really feel like women have that choice. You know, we have so much pressure to remove our body hair. So I hope what this conversation can be is just an enlightening 
discussion around what body hair actually means, the history of body hair, why there is so much pressure to remove it, and talking about, you know, is it unhealthy to have body hair? Is it healthy to have body hair? We need to talk about these things so that you can make that decision for yourself. And if you're kind of rolling your eyes at this or you're like, why are we talking about this on a health and wellness show? Then I think all the more reason to listen to this because we all have our own biases and we all need to check those and realize where maybe we're perpetuating a conversation that actually isn't healthy at all. So I'm very excited for today's episode. I'm excited to introduce you to Brienne. She is such an incredible human. She's written so much on the topic, but also on so many other topics. So I highly encourage you guys to check out some of her work. She's pretty incredible. And I feel very fortunate to have her on the show today to share more of her research and the things that she's learned. So stay tuned for the end of the episode for some life updates and some notes. You're definitely going to want to hang around for that because I have some big things coming your way. And with that, let's jump into today's episode. Here's Brienne. Hi, Brienne. Welcome to the show. Hi. I'm so excited to chat with you today. I found you through an article that you wrote, and I was just so inspired by the research that you're doing, and I feel like you're really helping to break down a conversation that is incredibly polarizing for a lot of people. And I know you do research on all sorts of subjects, and this is just one focus of your research, but I'm thrilled you made the time to come on the show to chat with me about it. Oh, no problem. I'm glad to be here. So for the listeners who maybe aren't familiar with you and your journey, can you share a bit more about who you are? So um, I'm a professor of women and gender studies at Arizona State University, and I also work as a clinical psychologist. So I specialize in issues of bodies and sexuality, and I do a lot of work around trauma and couples therapy as well. So what started your interest in women's studies and gender studies? Was that something, you know, as part of your upbringing that you thought a lot about? Or at what point did it become an interest of yours? Well, I mean, I think I've always thought of myself as a feminist from quite early on, but I didn't know that there was a whole world of studying it officially until I got to college. And then it kind of opened up an entirely other thing for me. So I had started out as a psych major in college and then learned about women's studies. And it felt like the two just really fit together so well, you know, thinking about the development of, you know, the individual psyche and the individual mind in relation to this social context and inequality and thinking about identities and things like that. So I've always had an interest in thinking about those together. And then that just grew and grew over the course of my whole career. So I got a PhD in both fields as well. And so those also fit together a lot in my work as a graduate student and stuff. And again, as a sex researcher and as a body researcher, the world of, you know, women, gender, feminism, all of that fits so well, I think, into thinking about the way that people experience sexuality and the body. Absolutely. And something that I've been noticing a lot and that I'm hoping will continue, I chat a lot about health and wellness. And I think for a long time, you know, they were so segregated, these fields, there wasn't a lot of overlap and women's sexuality in particular wasn't considered part of the health and the wellness space. It was like this whole other category. And yet for women to really be in your highest state of health, it requires you to tap into your own sexuality and understand what that means to you and feel empowered in that and also live in a society that supports that. And I'm starting to see more crossover, but I definitely still feel like we're in the beginning stages of this. 
Yeah. And I mean, when you ask people about how they're doing emotionally, a lot of times they experience that through their bodies as well. And so, you know, it's important that we think about all the ways that things like trauma and inequality and even just basic suffering map onto people's bodies and sexualities and things like that. And I agree. I mean, it's been such a, a ripe and fertile territory for me to think through and work on for all these years because, of course, it feels like we're talking about something quite narrow, but it's much more expansive and big and kind of overwhelming even at times. The story of sexuality in the body is the story of everything in some ways. You know, I mean, it, yep. it's, it's about relationships. It's about our families and institutions, our relationship to power, um, resistance, you know, emotions is kind of like the core of a whole huge story of how we construct the self. So I, I really love talking about these issues and thinking about them for those reasons too. And I think you're right that we often quarantine sexuality as something sort of secret or in the bedroom only or whatever, you know, and we don't think about, you know, the erotic or people's body image or all these things is connected to all aspects of their life, even their work life and their family life and everything. I couldn't agree more. And I feel like we could take this conversation in so many different directions. I know in your own research and your own studies, you've covered a lot of ground. I mean, just looking at the number of books that you've written and how many topics you've jumped into, I'm like, wow, we could do a podcast episode on every single one of these. <laughs> and yeah. I think for me, what really stood out was the work that you do when it comes to body hair. And I know body hair can be such a polarizing topic and people have a lot of feelings about it. So for you, kind of what sparked your interest in body hair and in understanding the societal norms and the gender issues that play into body hair? Well, it's certainly something I've always thought about individually. Um, I used to be a competitive swimmer. And so we had a kind of weird relationship with body hair you know, all growing up where all the women swimmers would grow out their body hair and then shave it before these big races. So I always thought about how it was kind of an interesting thing where people had lots of emotions about hair when it seemed like it shouldn't be so emotional, but it always was. And even to me, of course, it felt kind of like an intense experience to grow out your body hair in high school and things like that. But I started thinking about it a lot more in a scholarly way when I started teaching. And it was just really clear that you know, every time we talk about body hair in the classroom, students had a lot of really strong feelings about it, and they located lots of their feminist politics around it, and they didn't know how to resist with body hair, and they felt really concerned with how much they wanted, like, their boyfriend's approval to have body hair, and those kinds of themes started to come up, and so we, you know, kind of one day, I think this was maybe my second year of teaching, you know, when I first got my teaching job, we had sort of been joking around about, well, you know, someday we should just assign you guys to all grow out your body hair and write a paper about it and see what happens. And I said it in jest, but the students said, well, why don't we try it? It sounds really fun. And it turned into this kind of funky assignment that it was an optional thing. And a lot of them decided to do it. They kind of wanted to challenge themselves about it and see how it would feel. And so they decided as a group to grow out their body hair and then write a paper about how it went along the way. And I, when I got that first stack of papers, was absolutely floored at how important and intense and interesting these papers were and just how much it shows the invisible social control around bodies. It was as if, like, suddenly by pushing back against this social norm, they were able to see all of the players who had a role 
and making decisions about their bodies or, you know, sort of, I'm not bullying them, but, you know, telling them in very clear ways, like what their expectations were about grooming and, you know, shaving and all this. So it got me really thinking in a lot deeper way about looking at this more systematically and more clearly. So that was kind of the original sort of story there. So what is the history around body hair? Like, why is it so polarizing? I feel like, you know, there has to be a reason why we have body hair and there has to be a reason why women feel so much pressure to remove it. Well, I mean, the history, it's kind of, we don't really see a lot of body hair removal for women until the advent of photography. So when photography comes around, then we get also the advent of fashion photography, which then, you know, has this weird sort of negative effect of making women a lot more self-conscious about things that they were never self-conscious about before. So, you know, that comes about in the 1920s. And that's when you see things like advertisements for shaving creams start to come about or advertisements telling women that their body hair is smelly or that it makes them less feminine. And that rhetoric really wasn't around prior to then. So it's actually really important, I think, to understand the history of body hair by understanding that this is a pretty new phenomenon, all told, that women are expected to remove their body hair. It's not something that's been around for ages and ages. So that's an important note also. I think what's really interesting is that when it comes to women, and especially from a feminist lens, there's so much permission, at least you know in our world today, there's permission to kind of express yourself in a lot of different ways here in North America, I will say. And yet when it comes to body hair, I feel like there is still so much pressure to fit this one norm. Like you can do your hair in whatever way you want. You can wear makeup, not wear makeup. You can wear whatever you want to wear on your body. And yet if you have body hair, people pay attention to that. They notice that and they question that. It's really true. And remember, this is a norm where if we look at the US, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, a lot of studies find that between 98 and 99% of women comply with. In other words, removing armpit hair, 98 to 99%. Leg hair is slightly less and pubic hair is quite a bit less, but it's still over 50% of women now are reporting, in those countries anyway, that they're removing some or all of their pubic hair as well. And so when we think about any norm that seems to have numbers like that, especially when you start to see 98 and 99%, it really signals that it's not necessarily an optional sort of practice for women. This is, women have internalized it anyway as a mandate. And that I find really curious and important. And that's why I think a lot of people have a lot of feelings about it and a lot to say about it because it's really a norm that's just so strong and so pervasive. I mean, and there's lots of reasons for that. I mean, hair historically has been associated with power. So you see even in like early religious imagery for lots of different religions, you see, you know, a very like long haired sort of religious leader figures and the shaved head for, you know, monks and nuns and things like this. So the removal of hair, the covering of hair, you know, there's all kinds of cultural things, but also even more recently, I mean, hair and power really came about too. Like you see this a lot in the sexual revolution in like the late sixties, early seventies, where hippies are sort of rebelling with their hair and by growing it out. So this constant tension between how we show hair and how we hide hair, who gets to have hair and who doesn't, really has a lot of historical roots as well. So do you think that one of the reasons women feel a lot of pressure to remove their body hair is 
because there was this societal pressure to decrease their own power, to hide that power, and that's why they remove it? Well, we never really know for sure in terms of causal reasons. You know, I mean, it's hard to say. It's not exactly the case that people internalize norms because they know why, right? They don't know, oh, I'm a woman, I'm supposed to have less power and therefore I'm removing my hair. But we do know that hair is historically associated with power. So it makes a certain sense that groups that feel less powerful would feel like being hairless makes more sense. You know what I mean? It's it's more like that where we want to look at hairlessness and powerlessness as a kind of link that we should maybe be a little nervous about, right? That it means something when women feel, and remember, we're not talking about something where women are doing it, but most women are saying, oh, I could take it or leave it like it doesn't matter. They're saying things like, I feel disgusting if I have body hair. I feel like dirty. I feel gross. I feel like I couldn't have sex. I feel like I couldn't show my body at a gym. You know, they're saying very strong things about really a lot of like body shame and hatred around hair. So again, that affect is really powerful and one that we don't want to ignore either. Totally. And, you know, when I think about how much pressure there is in certain areas to remove hair, like as you were mentioning, you know, priests or monks or people who do cover their hair or shave their hair, there is this purity to it. There's a connection at least to purity. And I wonder how much that got associated in the process that for women to be pure, they need to be clean shaven. Well, yeah, I mean, there's that link. And then also the the link to childhood, right? So there's a lot of different scholars and a lot of people have been pointing out for years that, you know, it is a pretty important link that for example, with like the removal of pubic hair, that it signals a kind of prepubescent femininity versus a postpubescent femininity, you know, a more childlike femininity or a childlike body. I mean, these aren't accidental sort of norms that have been developed. These are norms that are developed with a certain sort of power patriarchal structure. Totally. And, you know, there's a huge misconception that hair is dirty and that, you know, when you see somebody, when you see a woman with armpit hair, you assume she must be kind of a dirty hippie. I hate that term, but I do feel like that's sort of what people bring to mind. And yet men don't have the pressure to remove their underarm hair. Like no one associates them with being dirty. How do we break this norm? Like, I mean, once and for all, is hair dirty? (laughs) No, 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 no. Emphatically, no. And it's funny, you know, there's been increasing numbers of medical doctors who've been like, you know, writing into the New York Times, doing magazine posts, doing anything they can to sort of spread this message that actual hair removal does cause more risks medically than leaving it alone. So medical doctors are seeing a lot more risks of staph infections or shaving related injuries in the emergency room, especially pubic hair removal injuries. Um, Hair is meant as a sort of like natural protective barrier for all sorts of things that are problematic for the body that the body is trying to sort of fend off and ward off. So it does have a function that we often forget. And the body also is remarkably good at sort of adapting to having hair. So people often struggle because that process sometimes of first growing out your hair is quite unpleasant. It's very prickly or uncomfortable at first, or maybe it smells different than you're used to, but the body quickly accommodates to it 
and it learns to adapt. So, I mean, we also have to trust that our bodies do know how to have hair. You know, a lot of women don't even know what their hair patterns look like, how much hair they might grow, the texture or nature of their hair. They don't know any of those things because we're taught as adult women to not really know our body hair in that way. So, you know, there's a lot of learning growth in trying this out and seeing what it's like, you know? And I think a really big thing that comes out of that is this idea of being able to make that choice. Like if you don't actually know what your body hair is like, you're not really making the choice to remove it. You're just assuming that it will be uncomfortable or it's going to smell bad or it's going to be whatever terrible version you've expected it to be. And I think that's one way that women are disenfranchised is that we're just assuming that it's going to be the worst case scenario and therefore remove it before it gets to that level. I'm curious from your perspective, can you be a feminist who chooses to remove their body hair? Like, Do you feel like women can still embrace being a feminist with or without body hair? Oh, I mean, I try not to be prescriptive about that whenever possible, because of course, we all do things that are, you know, more conforming and less conforming, you know, so it's more kind of thinking about what's the value in certain choices that we make to be non-conforming and what's the value in certain choices we make to conform. The bigger point I would make is sometimes, and I think this is true with hair, we just don't see that there's so many people in our lives who are helping us to make those choices. Or maybe a better way of putting that is pushing us to make those choices or making clear that they do not want us to make choices that they consider to be wrong. And I think it's really valuable to try to reflect on that. For example, a lot of my students who have grown out their body hair have really talked to me about how powerful it was to really interact with their partners around that in terms of really hearing their partners say, I don't think that you should do this with your body and realizing that their partners have, not all of them, but a lot of them had a lot of really strong feelings of wanting them to be more conforming with their bodies and not being okay with these women like using their bodies as a kind of site of resistance. And that really gave them a new perspective on their partners. At the same time, other women had partners who were super encouraging and really wonderful and said, it's your body, you do whatever you want with it. And I'm on board and I'm with you and you're sexy and all this sort of stuff. And so they learned a ton of things about people in their life. They learned about coworkers, about their parents, their siblings. So sometimes we think we make these choices, you know, in our own heads only. But of course, that's not the case, right? We make choices about our body and in a social system where lots of people have a lot of feelings about what we do. So I think my advice to women is really try to feel that out a little bit more. How much freedom do you have to make choices about your body, whatever those choices are, with or without others sort of feedback or input? And what does it mean to sort of have your more bodily autonomy where you feel like the choices you are making are really your own choices and not choices that you're making to please a family member or your boss or, you know, whatever, that sort of stuff. It's so true. You know, when I think about my own experience, I don't have a fear around growing out my own body hair for myself. I have a fear of how other people are going to react to that. And I have a very supportive partner and we can have conversations like that. But I think about, you know, when I'm working out, what are the other people in the class going to think about that? And I think that's probably one of the hardest pieces 
to grapple with is, you know, once you get over the stage of like, oh, okay, there's nothing inherently wrong with this, and it's not dirty, and it's not bad, then it's like, but what about all those other people who still hold that misconception? Well, remember, most of that is happening inside our heads, versus outside of our heads. Now, some of it is outside of us, right? There are actually people who have feelings about this, who comment on it, who judge it or evaluate it. But so much of that battle is inside your own brain. And that's the value, I think, of pushing yourself to really, you know, try to feel this out a little bit more of what it means. And remember, body hair is only the tip of the iceberg for those things. We want all people to feel like they can have the body that they have and be okay with it. And this is such an uphill battle in terms of people just feeling like they have the right to, you know, gain and lose weight or they have the right to age or they have the right for their bodies to get sick or not work sometimes or to feel really tired or, you know, there's like, or to menstruate or any of the things that bodies do, we want to have more freedom and more flexibility and more embracing of diverse bodies and all of the things that bodies do. So in some ways, body hair is like a nice entry point to that, right? Where we can really start to feel out like, how do I get more comfortable with bodies that don't necessarily conform to like an absolute mainstream, quote unquote, idealized form? And how is that going to be in some ways, an important lesson to learn in life, you know? Definitely. So I want to look at the other side of the coin here. And that's men and body hair. You know, I'm obviously not a man. I haven't studied that perspective at all. Do men feel any kind of pressure when it comes to removing their body hair or wanting to remove their body hair and feeling like they have to have body hair? Well, I mean, the studies that have been done on this are super interesting. So what they find, and I'm sure this will come as no surprise, is that when you ask men about body hair, they interpret that they have a vast buffet of options available to them and that mostly all of them are okay especially when it comes to things like pubic hair grooming. When they ask men about this and then compare it to asking women, men feel like they have lots of choices and that any of those choices will mostly be fine. Women, on the other hand, do not feel like there's many choices. They feel like there's sort of one choice and any other choice they make, they'll have to pay a pretty heavy price for that. So I think this is a really important lesson too of what we want to have more equality around. We don't necessarily want all women to conform to all having body hair and, you know, go to the other end of the pendulum. That's not what we want. We want them to feel the way that men feel, which is there's tons of options and all of these are available to me and I'm not going to pay a heavy price for those options. So we do see men, there's plenty of men who feel like, especially with pubic hair removal, that that makes sense or that trimming their pubic hair makes sense. Some men like to shave for the purposes of athletics or being, you know, a cyclist or things like this. Some men like to be super hairy. Like a lot of men interpret that they have a lot more options. The other thing I've found in my own research is that when men are considering shaving their hair for the purposes of this classroom exercise, they are much more concerned with what other men think about that than they are with what women think, especially if they're heterosexual and they have girlfriends. They don't immediately think, I wonder what my girlfriend will think about this. Hmm. They think and they say... I wonder what other men will think about this. Whereas women are much more likely to worry about men's approval or endorsement of their bodily choices. So, I mean, we really see another gender difference there that I think is worth noting too. 
I also think, you know, in my own experience, I tend to work out a lot, like when it comes to like underarm hair. If I'm working out in a setting that's mostly women, I'm not as concerned if I have underarm hair. Whereas if there are men in the class, I definitely feel a bit more concerned, which is funny because they're probably not the ones noticing. Right, right, right. That's the thing. I mean, I'm glad you said that too, because it's like one of those processes where we can't really make ourselves understand this process unless we really try it out ourselves or try to put ourselves in those situations. Because a lot of times, like another thing I've found when I've done research in the past is if you ask women just hypothetically, what do you think about women with body hair? Is it okay for women to have body hair? Those kinds of questions. They will say almost universally, oh yeah, sure. People can do whatever they want with their bodies. It's fine. It's not a big deal to me. And if you ask, what would it be like for you to have body hair? They'll say, oh, I think it would be okay. Like in the hypothetical, it seems like it would be fine. But when they actually try it, it's a whole different matter where sometimes it's easier than they thought. Sometimes it's much harder. Sometimes they're surprised by their own like internalized reactions to it. You know, so again, that hypothetical versus the lived practice of it does make a difference. And I also think that there is this idea of, you know, everybody can do whatever they want with their bodies. But then when you see it in front of you, I wonder what kind of thoughts are passing through your mind. I mean, even in my own experience, when I see somebody who has grown out their body hair, I'm now in a place where I'm like, yeah, good for you. That's awesome. But I wonder how many people a day see that and make assumptions about that person. Like we, in theory, allow people to make whatever choices they want for their body. But it's still one of those things where when you see it in person, you have a reaction to it. Yeah, it's also one of those lessons of, We can't spend our life constantly like fending off stereotypes about us based on our bodies or identities. We just have to kind of lean into that, you know? I mean, it's sort of like I would say for anyone who's trying to grow out their body hair, like don't try to, you know, minimize whatever people feel about it or think about it. You just have to kind of let people have their narratives and it's more important kind of what you're feeling and what you're doing with your body, you know? Totally. And I think there's so many different reasons for why you might want to grow out your body hair. Like on the one hand, you know, you're making a statement in that you can choose to do whatever you want with your body. I think there's the other side of the coin where there is so much grooming, there's maintenance, there is cost, there is time. Like it is an expensive habit and it is painful a lot of the time. It's something you have to think about all the time. And I think if you're starting to get frustrated with that and wondering like, why am I doing this? Maybe you have a lot of ingrown hairs. You are allowed to grow out your body hair for that reason. Yeah. I think there's so many different approaches to this and a lot of women kind of put it under the bucket of like, oh, you grow out your body hair because you're making a statement or you're a feminist or whatever that might be. And yet you can also make that decision from a personal standpoint because it's something that you just simply don't want to do anymore. Exactly. I mean, the range of reasons is so vast. And I mean, even when we go to that concept of making a statement, you know, there's been some really interesting things that have happened all over the world with body hair too. I mean, there's a a massive group of women in China in 2014, in like the fall 2014, who collectively grew out their body hair together as a political protest. And, you know, they posted about it on Tumblr, but there was like 250,000 women who did this together. And I thought that was really interesting and powerful. I mean, if, if we think about this notion of making a statement and we multiply that times, you know, 
a quarter of a million people. That's a pretty big statement, you know, and it definitely made people upset. I had reporters calling me saying like, you know, what has happened to China? Did you ruin China? It was really bizarre, actually. But so that's kind of another example of like all the way at the end of the pendulum, right, is like collective, like organized resistance using body hair. And then what you're saying is, I just don't want, you know, they could be as simple as, I just don't want to spend the time on this or the money on this, or this is just inconvenient, or I just want to be lazy, or I just feel like I don't, I don't want to put the energy into this. That's a perfectly valid reason too, you know? Definitely. So I know you challenge your students in class by either asking women to not shave and you ask men to shave, right? Right, right. Yeah. So what have been your biggest takeaways from this experiment? Um, I mean, there's been so many, but I guess the biggest one is that it's a way of seeing things that otherwise go unseen. So there's kind of this like notion, and I think it's pretty accurate that we can't see social norms until we try to violate them, right? Because they operate invisibly and they operate without people noticing. Social norms are that way, right? Like the same way that when you enter an elevator, there's certain social norms that you're supposed to do. You're supposed to face the middle in some ways. You're not supposed to just like turn your back on everyone in the elevator and face the wall. And if you did that, people would feel uncomfortable and it would be sort of a weird elevator ride. And, you know, sociologists have talked about that example in particular is this like kind of invisible social norm that we've all internalized and that sort of thing. So when it comes to hair, I think it's the same way. It's like there's so many norms around what women are supposed to do with their bodies and men too, I mean, to a certain degree, that just are made invisible to us, that we don't understand like who has a stake in this. I think the thing that strikes me so much about my students' narratives is just how intense some of the responses are from people like their mothers, fathers, and siblings, and coworkers, and partners, right? So that group of people often has a lot to say about it. And often in very, sometimes very frankly, homophobic terms or heterosexist terms, you know, things like mom saying, well, you'll never get a man or, you know, this kind of stuff where sometimes students are really shocked because they just hadn't really imagined that their mothers believed that or imagined that, you know, that hair would be associated with being like deeply unattractive to men or something like that. So that's been really interesting. There's been a lot of like different like race and class differences in terms of, you know, women who have much darker hair, it seems like it's much more difficult to grow it out. And it's much more emotionally challenging in that way. Um, There's been lots of things around co-workers and like the ways in which people didn't realize that their employers also seem to feel entitled to tell them what to do with their body hair you know like restaurant servers will say that like you know my boss didn't want me serving food to people with a hairy armpit because he thought it would bother the clients I mean that kind of stuff is invisible until we break those social norms and we see that play out in real time so I do think the assignment has been really interesting right it's a it's an optional assignment that students, you know, can do if they want to or not. And the ones who do often come back with a pretty interesting array of anecdotes about spaces that have been different for them as a result. Or like they go to a family wedding and they suddenly realize, oh, I can resist, you know, a norm of removing body hair and all these other contexts. But weddings are like so traditional and often so conservative in terms of what bodies are expected to do that having body hair in that space is really hard or something like that, you know? So there's there's a lot. I've written a lot of stuff about this, but I guess I'm just always amazed that 
it's such a strong reaction. People have such deep feelings about hair. And of course, we all know this because probably all of us have deep feelings about hair too. You know, I mean, about our hair on our head, about our body hair. It's really emotional, you know? It is a really emotional topic. You know, I'm curious if you have the access to this information. How many of the women who've done the experiment in your classes choose not to shave or remove their body hair after the assignment is done? I don't have like systematic data on this, but I do keep in touch with lots of them. And a lot of them have said to me, well, either I just never shaved again, which some of them have, or shaving is just not that important in the same way. Like I used to shave every day and now I shave like once a week or I just shave a lot less or I don't feel as scared of like having hair in periods of time. Um, some of them, like I said, use it as a litmus test for future partners. You know, they sort of try out this idea of body hair when they start dating someone new to make sure that they're not dating someone who has very like stringent and and very like narrowly defined ideas about the body. So, you know, it's funny, like later on, there's definitely been some change for sure. I can totally see that as a great litmus test. You know, let's say you're in a heterosexual relationship and you want to test to see if the man will have, you know, a supportive approach to your body and your choices. I mean, it's the ultimate obvious one where if they have a visceral reaction to your leg hair or your armpit hair, and that's not something that you want from a relationship, like it's right there, right off the bat. So I can totally see. It's just a great litmus test, like you said. Yeah. Well, this has been really interesting. I feel like this is opening up a can of worms for a lot of people that definitely needs to be opened up. So I'm so happy we had this conversation. If people want to learn more about you and your work, where can they do that? They can go to my website, which is www.briannefoz.com. I'm really easy to find online. So you can just Google me and it's easy to get in touch with me. And I would always love to hear anyone's stories about body hair. I'm actually working on a new book about body hair right now that should be out in a couple of years. So I'm just like getting that going right now. And so, you know, any conversations about this are always welcome, of course. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for making the time to chat with me today. It really has been a pleasure. I feel like I learned a lot. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation and huge thank you to Brianne Foz for coming on the show today and for sharing more of her incredible research and just encouraging this conversation. I think it's so, so important. And in that light, I do have kind of a funny story that came up for me when we were talking about the litmus test and just seeing how your partner would react to body hair. On the first night that I met Kurt, I actually hadn't shaved my legs and I was feeling super overwhelmed and scared by it because I wasn't planning to meet somebody that night. If you know the story of how we met, it was not at all expected in any way. I was moving from Montreal to New York City the very next morning. So it was not as though I knew I was going to meet my future husband that night. But funny enough, I had very hairy legs that night. And if I could go back and tell my 21-year-old self to not worry about it, I would have. But the truth is I went into the bathroom of my hotel and quickly shaved my legs. And to this day, it's still a very funny joke. You know, yes, Kurt came back to my hotel room, whatever, you can judge that if you want. But anyway, he came back to my hotel room and I quickly ran to the hotel and shaved my legs. And you know, he never knew what happened until a couple of years ago when I told him that I went to the bathroom to shave my legs. And it was very, very funny. So in hindsight, I wish that I hadn't because it would have been a really funny litmus test. I also know that Kurt does not care about body hair whatsoever. 
at all. And it would have led to a very interesting conversation that first night. But my 30-year-old self knows a lot more than my 21-year-old self. So hopefully that can be an enlightening story for you. And if you find yourself in a situation like that, maybe, you know, test the waters and see how your partner reacts to it. Or just have that conversation with them if you do have a partner. And one of the best ways I've found to kind of play with this idea of body hair and having body hair is even to just let your hair grow out a little bit. Now, I will admit I'm not somebody who grows out all of their body hair, but I don't feel as much pressure to be clean shaven all the time. So if I'm in a workout class and I haven't shaved my underarms, I don't really care. You know, at that point, it's not super long anyway. I don't think I'm at that point yet. So I just want to be fully transparent. I think it's great if you are and if it's something that you don't want to be doing or if you want to choose to make a statement with it, by all means, go for it. But just to get more comfortable with the idea of body hair, try just not shaving as often or try not removing it as often and see how that makes you feel. And over time, I've become a lot more comfortable if I have hair on my legs or hair on my underarms. I don't really care that much. I don't remove hair from my arms. I never have. I know a lot of women feel a lot of pressure to do that, but I'm just like, you know what? I can't deal with all of that maintenance. So there are so many different ways that you can make these choices, but just a powerful reminder that you have the choice. So play around with whatever makes you feel comfortable. Maybe it's just like growing out your leg hair a little bit or growing out your underarm hair a little bit, not feeling like you can't wear a tank top when you work out. Just play around and see how that makes you feel. I think it's one of the best decisions that you can make because it will help you feel empowered in whatever choice you make after that. So I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. I think it's an important one. I hope you share the episode with other people. And when you see somebody who has grown out their body hair, don't pass judgment on them. Applaud them. I think it's amazing. And I'm so happy that we can talk about this and see more examples of this in media. I think we're getting there. It's just, it's a slow process because as we talked about, it is such a polarizing topic. So in terms of life stuff, what's happening around here, we're actually moving, which was not at all expected in any way. Kind of came up as a surprise, but we are moving into a house, which I'm very excited about. I'm thrilled to have more space, but obviously it's a very chaotic, crazy time to move. So we're moving right after the new year, which is making this holiday season a little more stressful for me. And that's okay. I know it's just a season of my life and I will be very happy once we feel settled and it was just as the universe wanted it. And so that's how things have played out. But I've had a lot on my plate unexpectedly. And so just trying to navigate all of that. Fortunately, Thanksgiving was pretty chill. And we escaped for a couple days to Oregon, to the coast, which was pre-planned. And I'm really glad we had that time to relax before the madness begins. But hopefully, we'll be able to navigate it and things start to get a little bit quieter in the blogging space towards the end of December. But I'm also hoping that a lot of the things that we need to work out are done before then. Otherwise, it's just too much for me. My Virgo organization self is way too overwhelmed to have stuff last minute. So we'll see how this all plays out. And next week, I am going to be sharing a very, very, very big announcement. So I hope you guys will tune in I think you'll be surprised by it. I think a lot of you will be surprised by it, actually. So I'm not going to give any secrets away about it, but you'll have to tune in for that. It is my end of the year recap next week. So I just go through what this year has looked like for me, some highs, some lows, some big changes, some small changes, you know, the whole deal. And you'll hear all about what's coming up next for me. So if you want to hear more from me, definitely tune in next week. There is a lot, a lot, a lot 
to talk about. So stay tuned for that. Otherwise, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your week and I will chat with you again soon. Have a good one. Bye guys. 